Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the Long Point Campus. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues or at an off-site campus. We are glad that you are here to worship with us today. I'd like to start off by giving a special shout-out to Alex Johnson. Alex is our new uh, campus pastor at the Asheville campus, and several members of our executive team are actually there with them this weekend to install him as the pastor there. So I thought it would be great for us to take a moment just to join them church-wide and, uh, and praying for you and your family and the Asheville campus as you head into this new uh, season of ministry. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for Alex. Father, we're thankful for the journey that you've had him on and how his path has uh, crossed with ours for such a time as this. Father, we pray for this new season for him and their family, God, that you would go before them. Your word tells us that uh, in in a man's heart, he plans his course, but you, Lord, determine his steps. So we just pray that his steps would be ordered and directed of you. Father, that his ear would be sensitive uh, to your voice and his heart disciplined to lead in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to you and help the Asheville campus be the hands and feet of Christ to their community. So we're thankful for him and his family and pray, God, that you would just do more than they can ask or imagine uh, moving into this new season. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were with us last week, you heard Pastor Greg say in several different ways that he was finishing or wrapping up or concluding the series that we were in called The New Normal. Yet here we are today, uh, still in that series with one more message. So I'm sure you're asking, what is the deal with that? I thought we were starting something new. And there could have been several different things going on in his mind there. The first of which is that uh, he could have been thinking he knew that I was participating in the Rugged Maniac mud run this weekend and he was anticipating my death. And uh, there is a picture. Yes, that is a girl in front of me. There were, uh, there were lots of them. And so, great time there. Or he could have been uh, trying to intentionally distance himself uh, and our campus from being accountable for anything that I was going to say this weekend. Uh, or he just forgot. So I don't know what it was, but today is the real deal, the last uh, in the series. And I am honored uh, to be here to speak with you today. Well, I want to start off by asking you a question. Why are you here? It's not meant to be too deep or or philosophical, uh, but just think about that for a minute. Why are you here? Some of you are thinking, why am I here? Dude, why are you here? Who is this guy? I thought Greg was speaking. Where is he? Well, uh... Each each month, I have the opportunity to be a part of the Inside Track. It's a four-week process we have at all of our campuses to help folks that are wanting to uh, take their next step in getting involved here at the church actually get connected. And in week one, we ask them several different questions just to help them meet each other and get to know each other. We say, what's your name, where are you from, and how did you find out about Seacoast? And I love hearing folks unpack that question and begin to answer why they're here. We've actually had folks who were driving up Long Point Road, and we have a police officer that's out there helping direct traffic. And they, you see where this is going, don't you? They, they come up to the police officer and he's pointing them, you know, into the parking lot. And so they follow orders. <laughs> they pull in and they see a man in a reflective vest with an illuminated cone pointing them down an aisle. They pull in, come to another man who's pointing them into a space. And all of a sudden they're at church, but it doesn't end there. Uh, they get out of the car, come inside, sit through a service since they're here, see an announcement about the inside track with free food. And they look at each other and think, Let's go. (laughs) Got and connected at the church. We've had folks get connected here at Seacoast, at the campuses and online, through just about every relational tie and website that you could imagine. Some of you are here this weekend because you're so crazy about the person beside you that you would do just about anything to be around them. And this week it's landed you a seat in church. So whatever the reason that you're here, we're glad. We're glad that you're here. 
I know why I'm here. When I was in ninth grade, uh, my football coach, baseball coach, and math teacher was named Dean Howell. And uh, for some reason, from the first time that we met, I felt like Dean had singled me out. He was constantly calling me to a, a standard that I didn't feel like he called other kids to. So as a result, I spent most of high school uh, really hating him and really loving him. Uh, he was, uh, I was really good at two of the three of those things. I'll let you figure out which one. I will tell you that I took the SAT six times, if that tells you where I struggled <laughs> a little bit. But, but Dean was the kind of guy, if he heard something come out of my mouth that wasn't honoring to the Lord or to my parents or to our ball team, he'd call me aside after practice and make me run polls. If he heard that I did something boneheaded on the weekend, he'd pull me over to talk to me and have me run again. Uh, he was constantly challenging and, and building to develop uh, my character. He led FCA at our school, and he would give me little tasks to help him set up for it. Uh, they had the, the cheapest pizza at lunchtime, so there'd be a lot of students that showed up for it. He was constantly traveling throughout the state, going to little small-town church revivals, and he'd ask us to drive with them to check out these different church events. He'd spend time with us. He'd feed us a lot. And for a high schooler, that's like, you know, premium love language. And so he was speaking my language, challenging me, calling me to a higher standard. There's no question that Dean had a radical impact in shaping the man that I am today. Just wondering, how many of you know Dean Howell? Campuses, anybody? All right. Well, my junior year of high school, I was attending this event at, at our church called Retro Revolution. Sounds exciting, right? And uh, it was a week-long deal for students that uh, took place at night. And the deal with it was, it was at church and it was at night, so that meant my parents would let me drive to it. Uh, there was going to be a lot of girls there, and there was free food. And so that equation meant that Josh was going to be in the house. And so I had shared uh, the equation with a friend of mine, and he said, yes, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. And so we went for the first night. It was really cool. They had a powerful speaker. Adrian Dupre was the guy. And the worship, you know, I wasn't really a believer, but the music was cool. And so, uh, so we had a good time. We came back the next night. We get in our seats. The deal gets started. And all of a sudden, the, the plan has changed a little bit. Uh, he's speaking, and, and I had grown up in the church. My parents took me to church. I knew a lot about the Bible and about Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with God. And so we're sitting there in this deal, and all of a sudden, for the first time, I, I feel the Spirit of God compelling me to respond to Adrian's message. And so before long, tears are kind of welling up in my eyes, and I'm a junior in high school, and I'm fighting him. Do not cry. Don't. <laughs> and then the tears start flowing. The guy that's with me is looking beside him. What are you doing, dude? Stop crying. This was not the plan, you know. So before long, I'm raising my hand. I'm standing up. I've walked to the front, and I've received Christ. It was a powerful week. Well, that next year, I went off to college, and I uh, learned that Adrian was really involved in college ministry there, just really passionate about ministering to college students. And I had heard folks talk about discipleship and being in discipling relationships, but I had never been and wasn't too sure what that meant. And so I asked Adrian, uh, will, you, will you disciple me? And he said, well, let me pray about it, and I'll, and I'll get back with you. He came back and said, yeah, I feel like this is something that I should do. Um, why don't I meet with a group of guys at my house? Uh, why don't you come? It's at 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning. I thought, oh, he doesn't know that I'm in college. <laughs> we don't get up that early. <laughs> and so knowing that this was something that I wanted and that uh, I really believed you know, he could really invest in, in me in a lot of ways, I show up to his house, and, and it was really cool. We memorized the book of James together. He would charge us a quarter per verse that we missed. Uh, depending on the translation that we used. We got to see how he treated his wife, how he loved on his kids. 
he would travel and speak a lot, and, and he'd invite us to come with him. We got to see how he prepared for messages. Dean had a, had a huge hand in showing me what it looked like to be myself, but to also uh, be a man after God's own heart. Just wondering, how many of you know Adrian? Okay. Well, when I think about why I'm here today, and as I look back on how God has authored my story, there's no question that those two guys had a radical impact on my life. But today, as we wrap up this series that we've been in on the book of Galatians called The New Normal, I want us to pull back a little bit from the storyline of the book of Galatians, pull back a little bit from the situations and and circumstances that they were facing as a church to see where did this passion in Paul come from? Who had impacted him and how had his life been so radically transformed that a people that he was angered with and he once sought to kill, he's now frustrated with them because they've strayed from the purity of the gospel. The principle that I think we'll see for the church in Galatia, for Paul, and for us today is this. Before the people of God can experience a new normal, a person has to. Before the people of God can experience a new normal, a person has to. For the Galatians, that person was Paul. He came bearing witness to the good news and inviting them to experience a new normal. But for Paul, it was a man named Ananias. And I believe if we could sit down with Paul today and throw that question out to him, why are you here? As he started unpacking his story, there's a good chance that we would hear about this man named Ananias. Now, how many of you know Ananias? I appreciate your honesty. See, some church folks think they've got to pretend they know all the Bible stories. and like, I know him. Do we know him? I don't know him. So, you're honest, several of you. Well, similar to Dean or Adrian in my life, Ananias is an obscure character that only few of us know. We don't know anything else about his family, what he did for a living, or how many kids he had. However, in Acts chapter 9, there's seven verses that took place over the course of one day that tell us how God used him to radically change Paul's life. As a result, Paul will go on three missionary journeys, plant dozens of churches, be used by God to author the majority of the New Testament, and he would be the one that took the gospel to the Gentiles, which is the reason that we're here today. So in a lot of ways, all of us are here because of Ananias' small act of obedience. If you have your Bible or a smartphone, let's open up to Acts chapter 9 to see how God used him to bring about a radical change in Paul's life. The verses are there on your outline sheet. I won't read them. I'm going to kind of tell you the story per se. It starts off like this. It says, while Saul was still breathing murderous threats to the Lord's disciples. Now, this, this kind of stands in stark contrast to the Paul that we've been reading about in the book of Galatians. Uh, definitely his, his old normal. Okay, And if I'm the Galatians, it reframes the book for me in some ways because surely Paul was the kind of guy whose reputation preceded him. You know, Folks knew what his former life had looked like. And so if he's writing me a letter now and he's angry with me, I'm thinking, guys, let's calm down, chill out. He used to arrest and kill Christians, you know. So it's reframed it for me in some ways. But I love the language that the author uses while he was breathing out murderous threats. How many of you know there's not much that you do for very long when you're not breathing? The author could have said he was writing out murderous threats or screaming out murderous threats, but the fact that he says breathing shows me that there was this continuous focus He sincerely believed that Christianity was a threat to Judaism, and so he intended to stop it, intensely focused on bringing an end to this movement. So he had gotten papers from the high priest. He was going to go to Damascus, the passage tells us, and arrest all who belonged to the way. The passage goes on to say whether man or woman. So he didn't just want to arrest the the male who was the head of the home, but women as well. And this was really unique in their culture because women were often overlooked and, and neglected and not cared for. 
If a woman was married and her husband passed away, the, the church was seen as unique because they were a people that were passionate about caring for orphans and, and widows in their distress. But this wasn't the norm in their culture. So Paul's thinking here is that I don't want a woman giving birth to a child who could then grow up and share those same beliefs. So he was going to arrest any man or woman. So he's on this path with a few guys with him on the way to Damascus. And for him, that seems like it was a pretty strategic choice. Damascus was a key commercial city. There were several trade routes that stemmed off from Damascus. And so for him to stop the movement in its entirety in Damascus, he could possibly keep Christianity as a movement from spreading throughout any of the other cities in the Roman Empire. And so as he's on this path, on his way to Damascus, he encounters a bright light. He's taken to his knees and he's blinded. And this is what we hear. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He then replies, Who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he says, Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you must do. Pastors tells us that Paul stood up. He was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything for three days. So picture this with me. This fiery man who was intent, who was on a mission, leading men to Damascus to arrest any who belonged to the way, is now taken by the hand, by the men that he's leading, to be led into the city. He's incredibly humble. There's been a radical shift in the storyline here. And it's at this point that we meet Ananias to learn how God used him to bring about a new normal in Paul's life. So there on your note sheets, the first thing that I know about helping others experience a new normal is that God is able to use anyone who's willing to respond, yes, Lord. God is able to use anyone who's willing to respond, yes, Lord. In Acts 9, verse 10, it says... In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. In order for us to experience a new normal, it's going to require us having had a personal encounter with Jesus. This was true of me in high school. It was true of Saul when he was surrounded by the bright light. It was through all throughout the Gospels as Jesus would come across men who would be his disciples. In Mark 1, when Jesus comes across Simon and Andrew, he says, Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The scripture tells us that at once they dropped their nets and followed him. Their actions, their hearts, their words were saying, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. It's with that same response that we meet Ananias, who's a disciple in Damascus. He was a man who had had a personal encounter with Jesus. And since he was a disciple, there's several things that we can know about him. The first of which is that he was a student or a learner. He had brought himself under the authority and teachings of Jesus. Second thing that we know is that he was open to both invitation and challenge. He was in yoke with the Father, walking with him, training his ear to hear the Father's voice and disciplining his heart to respond in obedience. So when there came a point that the Father called out to him, he was able to respond, Yes, Lord. I don't think that there's two words more powerful in the English language when put together than Yes, Lord. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, he says, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. When we are willing to come before him and say, Yes, Lord, heaven and earth collide. Our response comes into agreement with the Father's will, and we're able to experience the power and presence of God. The phrase, yes, Lord, is one that stands alone, and it's our only appropriate response to him. Saying no, Lord, is a contradiction in and of itself. You know, that's a good way for you to test 
if he is really Lord of your life. It's a lordship issue. If there's areas of your heart or of your life where, where you're saying no Lord, it could mean one of, one of a couple things. It could mean that you're at a place of maturity and God's asking you to give up and surrender more of yourself and it's just a new season that's hard for you. He's working on your heart, maturing you. Or if there's relationships or finances or uh, material things in life that you're saying, God, you can have all of my heart except this. And there's a chance that he may not be Lord of your life. Coming to a place of saying, yes, Lord, is essentially about responding to God in faith. And regardless of where you are on your journey with him, there's an area or an opportunity that he's calling you to take a step that's going to require you to say, yes, Lord. For some of you, maybe you've been joining us for a while online or in one of the campuses and you've just had some questions. You've heard the Word of God. Maybe you haven't always come to church, but it stirred up in you some questions. Maybe your next step in saying, yes, Lord, is to connect with another person, connect with a believer, and just put your questions out there on the table to talk with somebody about them. Or maybe in hearing a message, God's saying, you know what, why don't you get a Bible and start reading it at home? Do some investigating for yourself to learn more about me, to know me more. For some of you, maybe your life is like Saul and, and uh, you've been walking through life and you sense the Spirit of God working in you today. You've done the church thing for a long time, but today you sense the Spirit of God inviting you into a relationship with Him. Well, whatever the case, yes, Lord, is the response of readiness that ensures your ability to be used by God. Yes, Lord, is the response of readiness that ensures your ability to be used by God. Second thing I know about helping others experience a new normal there on your outlines is this. God is going to ask you to do things that don't make sense. Can I get an amen on that one? He's going to ask you to do things that don't make sense. Upon hearing Ananias' response, he enters into a conversation with the Lord in verse 11, and this is what it says. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. Okay, so just imagine this conversation with me. News hasn't hit anyone's Twitter feed. There hasn't been any status updates. People don't know what's going on here. Paul has letters from the high priest. He's on the way to Damascus to arrest all who belong to the way. He's been humbled, blinded, taken to his knees, led into the city, and now he's waiting and blind. Meanwhile, God shows up to Ananias and says, I want you to go and talk to Paul. Ananias is willing and, and able. He's been training his ear. He's ready to respond in obedience, but he's got a few questions. <laughs> Say, God, uh, this, this is the man, the, the breathing out murderous threats, you know, wanting to arrest your people. I mean, just put yourself in his situation and imagine what would be going through your mind. If God asked you to go and confront someone, God asked you to go and do something that just didn't make sense. I mean, would you be spending a little more time with your kids? Maybe writing your wife a letter, you know. I love you, <laughs> just in case, just in case things go south. He had to have tremendous faith to walk in obedience to what God was calling him to. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. It goes on to say in verse 2 that it's this, this was the kind of faith that the ancients were commended for. 
being willing to respond and act in obedience, even when they didn't see or, or know the outcome of their ways. I think about men like Abraham. God told him, you will be the father of many nations. But then the Lord came to him and said, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Abraham didn't try to figure out how that couldn't be the Lord, you know. That had to be bad burritos. I didn't have a quiet time this morning. <laughs> that was not God. He didn't try to figure out a way that, well, he's talking about like in the future, once we have more children, you know, surely he couldn't be calling me to do this now, you know. He responded in obedience, knowing that God had the power to either raise his son from the dead or to provide a sacrifice for them. And that's exactly what the Lord did. When was the last time that the Lord asked you to do something that just didn't make sense? Maybe it's a person in your life that's wronged you, an area of your life where justice just hasn't been served, and the Lord's calling you to forgive them. Or maybe it's in the area of your finances. The Lord's called you to, to give someone a gift or to, to increase your tithe. And as you look at your income and you look at your expenses, you're just thinking, God, oh, there's no way. Surely this is like a lifelong goal. You're not calling me to actually do this right now. A few weeks ago, Chris Russo, who's the venue pastor in the warehouse, was meeting with a guy, and man, God was just really at work in his heart. He had been in a tough season and running with, uh, with the wrong crew and... Uh, Sense God just calling him, inviting him into a relationship with him. And so as Chris is meeting with them, uh, they pray. The guy accepts Christ. And as they're unpacking the guy's situation, he learns that the guy had a $3,700 drug debt. And uh, his dealer had just called him and said, um, if you don't pay it in the next 48 hours, I'm going to put a hit out on your name. That would have been enough to make me come to Christ <laughs> as well. But for him, it was just this powerful moment. So they pray, he accepts Christ, and, and Chris talks with them about how God is a loving Father. He is our protector and our provider. You've entered into this relationship with him, and there's going to be consequences from your past, but you can trust that he is a living God. And so they pray and leave, and it was just a powerful time. Well, that next morning, Chris is having coffee with a friend of his, and he's really burdened by this guy's story and situation. And so he's telling his friend about it, and he mentions the $3,700 drug debt, and the guy's eyes just kind of get big. You know, he says, I feel like I'm supposed to pay, pay his debt. And he said, a few months ago during the Blessed Life series, I felt like God asked me to set aside $3,700. And so I saved up, put it in a savings account. But for the last few months, I've been praying, God, what do you want me to do with this money? And so yesterday I decided, Lord, I've given you all this time. I'm not hearing anything. I'm going to transfer it from a savings to a checking account this week so that I can, I can have it to spend. So the fact that I have $3,700, he needs $3,700, and you're telling me this right now, I feel like I'm supposed to be the one to give it to him. So the next day, Chris meets him, picks up the money, and uh, he goes and takes it to his friend. They go and pay off the drug debt. And uh, it was like supernaturally God had drawn a line in the sand. I've invited you in the, into this relationship, and I want you to be able to move forward in a new normal with the, the chains and the ties from your past cut. So... For transparency's sake, I'm thinking if any of you have any drug deals that might be going south, it might be worthwhile to talk with a Seacoast pastor. <laughs> and best case, best case, you accept Christ and we get your debt paid for. So it might be worthwhile uh, opening up a little bit. How many of you would, would agree that you're safer carrying out the will of God in the craziest of situations than you are standing idle in a place that you perceive to be safe? When we're willing to respond to God in obedience, we can carry out the will of God knowing that we're covered by His hand and walking in His authority and blessing. The last thing I know about helping others experience a new normal is this. When we're willing to respond, yes, Lord, 
to things that don't make sense, lives change. When we're willing to respond, yes, Lord, to things that don't make sense, lives change. In verses 17 through 19, we see the outcome of Ananias' obedience. It says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may, be, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Paul encountered the risen Lord. He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. But it wasn't until a believer, walking in obedience, responding in faith, was willing to go in the house, lay hands on him, and pray for him, that something like scales fell from his eyes, he could see clearly, and he responded to the Lord in obedience. In fact, it was Ananias' obedience that would serve as the catalyst for Paul's public ministry. In verse 20, that next verse on your outline sheet there, it says, At once he began to preach in synagogues that Jesus was God's Son. What I love about this verse is how radically it contrasts verse 1. This is the same Paul who days before was breathing out murderous threats to Christians. On his way to the synagogue to arrest any who belong to the way is now in the synagogue preaching that Jesus is God's son. Paul didn't take a few months to uh, soak it all in, you know, just attend church for a little while. Got some stuff I need to clean up, you know, do a little heart work. He didn't go back to the high priest and say, you know what, there's been a change of plans. I'm one of them now. <laughs> At once he began to preach that Jesus was God's son. For a lot of us here today, the idea of God using you exactly where you are, in the midst of everything that you're going through, sounds about as crazy as Paul preaching the gospel. But what if you decided that this week, this Easter, that you were going to respond at once? What if you decided to come before the Lord today and invite Him to use you to bring about a new normal in someone else's life, to help them take one step closer to all God has for them? For each of us who are willing to respond today, I see it looking one of, of a few different ways. For some of us, our lives may be very much like that of Saul. We may be walking through life with our own opinions, opinions is not a word, opinions and preferences is where I was going, opinions and, and preferences and convictions. And maybe today you, you've had an encounter with the risen Lord. You sense him stirring your heart, calling you, inviting you into a personal relationship with him. So your response is simply to come before him and say, yes, Lord. You may know the pieces of your heart that you've been keeping from him, uh, a relationship, uh, a position, whatever it is, to come before him and say, God, yes, I surrender all to you today. Because once you've entered into a relationship with him, your, your response today is going to look one of two ways. For the vast majority of us, our yes, Lord, is going to look much like the life of Ananias. We've been invited into a relationship with him. We're walking with him in yoke with Jesus, learning what it looks like to step where he steps and goes, go where he goes. We're training our ear to hear the Father's voice. We've cultivated a heart that is disciplined and willing and ready to respond in obedience. And the tough thing about this seed is that this side of heaven, there's a good chance you will never see the outcome of your seemingly small acts of obedience. You'll never see how, how your obedience has so radically impacted someone else's life that they've gone on to transform the community or God's used them to bring about change in our world. For some of you today, your yes, Lord, may look very much like the life of Paul. Maybe you have a clear vision for, for something that God's called you to. 
Uh, maybe he's given you uh, the purpose and, and the platform to bring about change in our community. There's an area of darkness that you feel called to be the light in. There's an area of brokenness that God has called you to be the hands and feet of Jesus in. There's a missional community here at the Long Point campus that's passionate about adoption. And they don't just believe that, that it's a good idea, they believe that it's a God idea. And as the people of God, as the church, we've all been adopted into God's family. And so they're, they're raising awareness, they're building community, they're raising money, uh, they're moving forward in, in adopting children both locally and globally. They're going to make a difference, but it may be 10, 15, 20 years till they see how their obedience has a ripple that, that impacts our community and world. Whichever the case, it's important for us to remember that there would not have been a problem in the church of Galatia had there not been a Paul that had the vision and the passion to go on a missionary journey and plant a church. There would not have been a radical change in the life of Paul without a man named Ananias. So for each of us today, Scripture tells us that the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Us being forceful in taking hold of the kingdom today is coming before him with hands that are open and a heart that's willing to respond, Yes, Lord. The crazy thing for me in, in moving towards Easter, it's very possible that some of the strongest leaders in the future of our church, campus-wide, live in our community and aren't even believers yet. And God is wanting to use you to be an Ananias in their life, to be the catalyst for transformation in their community. Before the people of God can experience a new normal, a person has to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for, uh, for Ananias. God, I'm thankful for the account of his life uh, summed up in seven verses and how he lived a life with an ear that was bent towards learning and responding to your voice. And as a result, Father, you used him to birth and spread Christianity, Father, to get us to this place today. So, Father, I pray for each of us here that you would plant a seed in our hearts, Father, that you'd begin to give us a vision that there is no such thing as wasted obedience. We may not see the outcome of our ways, but you are a living God and able to use all of our obedience to bring about life change and, and transformation, not only in the life of another person, but in our community and in our world. God, I pray that, that today our hearts would be open to you. If there's any area that we've been saying, no, Lord, may we encounter you today. May we respond to the risen Lord and come away a people that are changed. In Jesus' name, amen.